to read Romans um, chapter number 7, verses 14 through 25, and, and uh, we'd like to read it from the message uh, translation. I believe it's an easy read so that we can understand what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Rome and, and of course, to all believers. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Now, that's speaking to the carnal nature, the body of sin. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, in other words, I know what God's word says, but I, I, I can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging, my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good. Anybody ever been there? But I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Anybody been there? My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. <laughs> Did you all remember that smile? There's a conflict that's going on between two natures, the fight between the recreated part of me, the born-again part of me, and my flesh, this body of sin. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, not a demon, not the devil, sin. My flesh, my body is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me, that is me and my spirit and my soul and my body and my trinity, joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind. But I'm pulled by the influence of sin. Pay attention. I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Our study for the next few minutes is born out of a teaching series entitled, You're Fighting the Wrong One. So for the next few minutes, I want to challenge us like never before, and yet in the midst of the challenge, I, I, I do endeavor to encourage us in the faith. But I do want to challenge our level of commitment. What are you really committed to? Who are you really committed to? I want to challenge us in the area of our character, what we exemplify on a day-to-day -day basis. I want to encourage us as it pertains to our growth and our development. You see, each time we come together, there should be transformation. There should be change. None of us should leave this place as we have come. There should be a challenge set forth that causes us to examine our own selves and to internalize the message and check out our own character. What am I really committed to? Who am I really committed to? What am I really trying to achieve? And am I a person of character and integrity? Am I credible? Who really believes that I'm a follower of Christ? I want to say to you all, church family, I don't stand here as a person who knows everything. But I can guarantee you this, I do know the God who knows everything. 
And that's, that's who we're going to, to talk about, the God who knows everything, the sovereign, the creator, the, the almighty, the Adonai, the God who is our master. All of us are in a war. For some of us, the war may be spiritual in nature. For some of us, it may be mental in nature. For some, the war is physical. There are health challenges in our bodies. For some, we face a relational war. That is, we face one failed relationship after the other. For some, the war is financial. We find ourselves in a hard place, not being able to steward money, not being gainfully employed. For some of us, the war is just downright emotional. It's a tsunami of emotional turbulence. We vacillate back and forth. We exemplify instability. The point is, all of us are in a war. It is important that we each assess what type of war am I engaged in? What's the source? What is the root cause of this war, this struggle, this battle? All too often, listen, we make wars about others. Or it's certainly about the devil. However, I want to submit to us, is, is it possible? that the wars we face are more about the war within us. And I'm not dismissing the reality of a satanic assault. However, I am saying that not every war is a result of satanic assault. Not every difficulty you and I face in life is the devil. He's fierce. He's our adversary, a worthy opponent. But it is clear throughout the Bible that he and his demons are defeated. Some wars in life are just downright proportional to our own personal choices, our own ambitions, our biases, our weaknesses, our mismanagement of real life situations. And we're just going to let the Bible speak to us today. James 4, verses 1 through 4, we'll look at this in the New Living Translation. What is causing the quarrels? and fights among you. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. <laughs> I didn't say it. The Bible said it. You adulterers. It's talking spiritual adultery. Don't you realize that friendship with the world, in other words, the culture, makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, if you want to be in bed with the world, if you want to conform to the culture, adapt to the culture, be shaped by the culture, just know that you have positioned yourself as an enemy to God because we cannot love God and the culture. We cannot love God and the world. We can't love God and the devil. We can't love righteousness and evil. It's one or the other. You're fighting the wrong one. Let's look at uh, James 4, 1 through 12. This is in the Message Bible. Now, and we want to expose the lie that we have been told for so long. Well, you have not because you ask not. Let's get the correct interpretation of it. The Bible says now, in the original King James Version, we have not because we ask not. In other words, we ask amiss. It is kankos. It is with diseased motive and intent of heart. You see, I want that for the wrong reason. And any time we pray a prayer, a petition, asking God for something with the wrong motive and intent of heart, we can be assured that we'll never get it. God doesn't answer those kinds of prayers. Also, he doesn't give us the desires of our heart. You've been praying that, God, you give me the desires of my heart, you see. Can we talk today? 
And that, that is a, a misinterpretation of the scripture in that God is saying, I will give you the desires of my heart. In other words, I will birth in you what I desire for you, and then I will honor that. But listen, our hearts cannot be trusted. You've heard the scripture. God says the heart of man above all things is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I know it. And I'll expose the seed of your passions. I'll expose your mental conditioning. God knows he cannot trust the desires of our hearts. You see, we desire somebody else's spouse. Did y'all remember that smile? <laughs> we desire things because we want it for our own pleasure. And so the Bible says that's not what God grants. Can we keep reading? Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way. And fight for it. Deep inside of yourselves, you lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you'd know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Uh-oh, the Bible says you're small children, each one in your own way. Have you met people like that? It's all about them, selfish, want their way, and, and it's their way or no way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? Here's the proverb. The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. Now, because God transcends where we are, this is a word we could relate to, but God doesn't uh, experience jealousy the way we do. You understand? It's just that God wants us all to himself, and he won't share us with a part-time lover. And what he gives in love is far better, pay attention, than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the humble. Our greatest war really is not with the devil and his demons. And let's allow the scripture to prove it. In Luke 10, 17 through 20, when the disciples had gone out and they're representing Christ, they cast out devils, they come back, and, and they're rejoicing, and they're saying, Jesus, these demons are subject uh, to us in your name. So Jesus says, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and he says, behold, I give you. Now, I give you authority. I'm giving you power over all of the ability of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. He says he has given us authority. He's given us power over the ability of the enemy, and authority always transcends ability. You know it. You've seen it in the courtroom. You can have someone accused of a crime. They may be big and bad and looks, looks like they can overthrow the judge, but the judge has the authority, right? And what the judge says goes. An 18-wheeler has ability. But a little small policewoman stands in the middle of the road in front of an 18-wheeler, and she'll raise her hand, commanding that 18-wheeler to stop. Ability, listen, does not override authority. God has given his church authority. Our greatest war really is not with evil and demons. Jesus gave us the authority, 1 Peter 5, 8. I don't have time to go through all these scriptures. just want you to have uh, something to chase, to study. The Bible says that we should be sober. I'm going to get in trouble. Not intoxicated. Now, I've been using the hookah, the hookah thing. I've been using that, you know. The hookah bar. We're not supposed to be intoxicated. We're not supposed to be smoking. Smoking nothing. Not weed, not recreational drugs. We're not smoking on the pipe. You catch something doing that. <laughs> you catch something doing that. You know, you would think that in the church we don't deal with that kind of stuff. We need to deal with it because the church is a hospital, right? And some people come in and they need to go immediately to intensive care. <laughs> be sober, be vigilant. You've got an adversary, the devil. He walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Everybody say, I'm not the one. Now, the Bible tells us to resist him, not the truth that will change us, not the truth that will transform us, but we resist the devil, the evil one, our adversary. We don't give in to him. 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to eternal, his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, listen, you have suffered a while, he will perfect us, that is teleos, he will mature us, he grows us up, he will establish us. So that we're grounded. He will strengthen us and he will settle us so that we're not flighty. James 4, 6 through 7. And I'm going to quote this the, really the way it should be quoted. Many, many times we'll say, um, resist the devil and he'll flee. But the Bible says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So you can't resist him if you're not submitted first to God. He will not flee if we're not first submitted to God. And his greatest terror is our submission to the Holy One. The devil does not want us submitted to, to Christ. So he'll lure us, he'll bait us, he'll, he'll pull the rug from up under us if he can. There are several other scriptures. James 4, 1, 1 John 3, Hebrews 2, Titus 2. I just don't have the time to go through all of those. All of those verses... They clearly reveal the position God has given to his people. God has called us to elevated living, not low living. And we're only as low, understand this, we're only as low as we are willing to think. He called us to think higher. He called us to live within the standard that he has given his church which simply means that I stand high above darkness. I stand high above the culture. I stand high above evil. I've been empowered to stand high. Why? Because God gives us his word to elevate the quality of our lives. He's all about transforming us. He's all about elevating the quality of our lives. So if Jesus has broken the power of the devil over those of us who profess to be followers of Christ, if the devil really is a defeated foe, and he is, who then is my greatest enemy and what poses the greatest threat? Could it be that the greatest enemy is the enemy in me? Could it be? Could it just be? So today I'm asking that we be critical thinkers, not critical people. A critical thinker listens with the intent to learn, to grow, to develop, to mature, a critical thinker will analyze the presentation, analyze what is being taught. Let's see if this is really sound doctrine, if this is really true. Could it be that the greatest enemy is the enemy in me? So if you're fighting your supervisor, you're fighting the wrong one. If you are fighting your husband, wife, you're fighting the wrong one. If you are fighting your wife, you're fighting the wrong one. We really get in trouble with all this girlfriend, boyfriend. If you're fighting your ex-boyfriend, you're fighting your ex-girlfriend, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, your ex-supervisor, your ex, you're fighting the wrong one. If you're fighting your pastor, you're certainly fighting the wrong one. If you're fighting members of the local church, members of your family, your community, fighting your children, your colleagues, your neighbors, the world system, you're fighting the wrong one. If you're fighting Jesus Christ, you're certainly fighting the wrong one. It is unfortunate that we look to the outside class today, can we? We look to the outside and we're blaming others for why we are where we are instead of looking on the inside. Surely this is somebody else's fault. Somebody else is responsible. And as long as someone else is my enemy, I will forever be blinded to the enemy in me. So the Apostle Paul writes in our text that within every one of us professing to be followers of Christ, there is this constant internal conflict. There's a desire to obey God and then the carnal inclination to satisfy the cravings of the flesh. One part of me wants to obey God. I know it's right to do this. And then the other part of me, the cravings in my body, influence me to go against God. Paul wants us to know that there's a real war going on. The choice you and I will face every breathing second of our life. Will I obey God or will I obey sin? You see, sin feels good. Sin brings pleasure. Come on, y'all better come to class. Sin is enjoyable, right? And change is difficult. Transformation is difficult. Maturing, growing up, letting that go, letting him go, letting her go. That's difficult. That's hard. 
I want to hold on to what satisfies the flesh, even if it means I will offend the holy God. It's difficult. Transformation is difficult, but it's absolutely necessary. At one time or another, we have all served sin. And we grew weak under its deadly power. And now God gives us grace to become servants of obedience. Now pay attention. The born-again believer will always be in a war. As long as we're encased in a body of sin, there will be a war in my flesh, in my body, struggling against the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God for my life. That is a good plan. So our point of emphasis, while we may have a new nature, those of us who are born again, and, and let me submit to us that everybody in the room is not born again. Everybody in the building is not in the body. <laughs> That was a deep revelation, right? Everybody in the overflows in the building, that's not a representation of everybody in the body of Christ because I can be in the building doing my own thing. That's why God inspired this message because he knows that everybody in the building ain't in the body and our hope is to get everybody in the building in the body. Amen. We're talking in the body of Christ. So while we may have a new nature in Christ, those of us who are born again, we're still captivated by the cravings of the old nature. That humanity, that body of sin, the flesh, that unrenewed mind. That's why it's so important that I get my mind renewed by the word of God because I'm only going to live as high as I think. And sin promises low-level living, low-level thinking. Promises that. It also promises death. So the issue... It's clear. To what degree are we willing to obey God? Now, don't, don't worry. I'm going to get you out of this. Somebody says, well, just give, give, you give us the answer, please. <laughs> A point of emphasis, it is absolutely crucial to every one of us for our own emotional, relational, physical, mental, spiritual, and financial well-being that we resolve our own internal conflict. We would be lying if we sat in here today and deny that there's not a war going on on the inside of us, a struggle going on on the inside of us, a challenge going on on the inside. You don't want to know what I think. It would be dangerous to expose the condition of our thoughts. Everybody say, challenge me today. Indeed, Jesus Christ, he has given us the ability to overcome this internal conflict, the war that is raging on the inside, this internal battle, but I've got to want to overcome. I've got to want to come out of it. I've got to want to step away from this. I have to want it. You've heard the statement, we can want it really bad for you, but if you don't want it for yourself, it'll never happen for you. So our purpose is threefold. We, we must first acknowledge that we are forever in a war. All of us, every breathing one of us. We are forever in a war, a struggle, a challenge. It's internal. It's not the other person. It's not external. It's what's happening on the inside of me. We must identify what kind of war we are fighting and why. Why am I going through this internal struggle, whether it's with jealousy or resentment or bitterness or guilt, shame or condemnation? What is it? Why am I going through this internal struggle wherein I can't submit to authority? I don't want to be held accountable. I do not want to be corrected. Nobody tells me anything. I'm my own God, my own boss, my own master. I call the shots in my life and it makes you a dangerous person because everybody has to be accountable to somebody. And as I've said in discipleship development and 10 o'clock service, the devil himself is accountable to God. He can't parade through planet earth and just do whatever he wants to do, assaulting us any way he chooses. You see, he has to get permission from God. And even when God gives the enemy permission to assault us, he gives him boundaries. The devil himself and all of his demons, they're held accountable to God. Who are you accountable to? Who corrects you when you cross the line? Who checks you when you're out of order? Who's able to pray for you and tell you you're wrong? Or does everybody tell you your poo-poo smells sweet? And if you've got those kinds of people in your life, those are some dangerous friends. I need to acknowledge this, this war. I need to identify this war, and I must know that I have grace to win. And therefore, I decide I will win. 
Muhammad Ali, many of us know, know him as really one of the world's greatest boxers on the planet up to now. I don't know of anybody that uh, proposes that they're a greater boxer. We have some people trying. But why was this guy the greatest boxer on planet Earth? Why? He had a mental attitude, a mental attitude that accentuated his boxing ability. Yes, he had the ability, but it was his mental attitude that accentuated the ability that he had to prove himself to be the greatest. And he was, he was not ashamed to declare it, no matter who his opponent. No matter wins or losses, he never saw himself as a loser. Now I want you to come to class, how do you see yourself? It's important how you see yourself because you're going to behave based upon how you see yourself. You, you see, if you see yourself, ladies, lacking no value, you'll drop it like it's hot. And you'll drop it like it's hot with whoever. You remember that smile earlier, you know. <laughs> who, who, who you talk to? <laughs> when I know my value, you see, it's all in how I think. And when I think more highly of myself and I recognize that I stand high and that God elevated me above the culture and above the darkness, listen, nobody taps into this. It's not a knob where everybody gets a turn. You remember that? Some little preacher said that. Y'all don't know the little preacher who said that? Some of y'all are like, ooh-wee. He always saw himself as a champion, so the challenge, how do you see yourself? He talked champion. You see, I know exactly how you think when I listen to how you talk. <laughs> I know how you think when I listen to how you talk. And it can't be all this profanity and all this obscene stuff. Come on, I know you're higher than that, better than that, greater than that. But you don't talk like a champion as long as you don't see yourself like one. I got that from the scripture. You see, I know how my daddy sees me. Do you know how your creator sees you? Do you know what he called you into? Do you know what he called you out of? Do you know how he has positioned you for greatness? Now, when you begin to absorb how he thinks about you, then you start talking like that. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cool kind of teacher in that I don't need an amen or a hand clap or preach it because I'll amen myself. <laughs> I just pat myself on the back. I said, go Holy Ghost, you know you got this. It doesn't matter the expressions on people's faces. Because I know my father's smiling, you see. I know he's smiling. This Muhammad Ali thing, he, he believed in himself. He talked himself up. What do you say about yourself in the privacy of your bedchamber, in the secret places of your mind? Do you talk yourself up? Do you talk yourself out? Do you talk yourself down? What do you say about you? What do you think about you? He never saw himself as a victim. You see yourself as a victim? We'll understand it when you open your mouth. He had a winning attitude, and he kept a winning attitude. Now pay attention to this. He took a biblical principle even though he was not born again. And he used a biblical principle to shape his own thinking. And we have the word of God given to us to shape our thinking so that we see ourselves from God's perspective, not the culture, not what mama did or didn't do, what, what daddy did or didn't do. Listen, what, what, what people did or what they didn't do, we see ourselves through the lens of our father, the lens of love. It's a better way to see yourself. Amen. When we speak, we expose how we think. We were created to think higher. And you'll never live higher if you don't think higher. Did I get that from the scripture? God says, now we're going to create them in our image and after our likeness, and we're going to give them the ability, the authority to reign. It is Rada. We're going to give them the ability to have dominion, to rule over. That's pretty high living. Not under nothing. What are you under? You see, we weren't created to be under nothing. We were created to rule, to reign, to Rada, to take charge. Listen, that's how our Father created us, not to be under nothing. So nobody puts their foot on my neck. What do you believe? Why are you always down? Why are you always under? Can you talk yourself up? 
Why do we lack this winning attitude when our father gave us a mind to win? Why do we lack this reigning attitude when our father gave us a mind to reign? Why do we lack the champion attitude, the victor's attitude? Why do we lack this? And I understand situations and, and circumstances can happen and you just feel like you're, you're beat down, but none of us should ever be ruled by feelings. We don't acquiesce to how we feel. Sure, I may feel angry, but it's not going to control me. Listen, I may feel disappointed, but it's not going to control me. Listen, I may feel despair, but it's not going to rule over me. I may feel it, but I don't let it rule me. We will never grow from negativity. Children cannot develop in a healthy way with negativity. None of us, adults, adolescents, we don't develop in a healthy way in an environment of negativity. That's why God does not speak negatively to us. Why do we speak negatively about ourselves? The root word there is to negate, to nullify, to contradict. So we contradict what God says about us. And I pray that that's going to change today because speaking words are important. It's important. We speak a lot in this church about cultivating your mind. That has to be a systematic process where I'm cultivating my thoughts so that my thoughts are healthy and they're not dirty and they're not low and they're not deceitful thoughts. These are clean thoughts. These are holy thoughts. These are healthy thoughts. These are God thoughts. I let that mind that was in Christ Jesus be also in me. I think the thoughts of God continuously about myself. And it does dictate my performance. You see, this is why we find ourselves in relationships with people. We want to connect with folk, and we've never confronted what's going on in us. And then we wonder why that relationship fails. There's something going on in me that needs to be corrected. Listen, it's not everybody that you've been in a relationship with that's the problem. I'm not saying that you picked up some good stuff, because some of us picked up some bad stuff. But everybody ain't bad stuff. It could be that I'm the bad stuff. Come to class. Amen. I picked the wrong Sunday to come visit this church. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. It was a setup. It was a setup. It was a good setup. Whenever you and I speak against the word of God, speak against what God said about us, then we get in cahoots with the devil. And he loves it because his aim is to take us down and to keep us down. He already knows that we are the Imago Dei. He knows that we're the image and the likeness of God. He knows that he can do no more to us than what we allow him to do. Because God gave us grace. He gave us charisma. He gave us a way to always stand tall. Our God elevates. And we need to keep it at the forefront of our minds. Your greatest enemy, your greatest adversary is you. Your worst critic is you. Your most fierce opponent is you. Your greatest hater is you. <laughs> you are your number one abuser. It's not someone else's opinion of you that becomes your reality, but rather it's your own opinion of yourself. You see, most of us, particularly professional people, we know how you feel about you when you've introduced yourselves to us. We know how you feel about yourself. We can watch your demeanor. We listen to your language. That's why corporate executives want to take you out to dinner. We're going to see how you behave at the dinner table. How do you manage the flatware when you're at lunch with the CEO? We know how you feel about you just watching you. Y'all still here? Did you leave and go home? <laughs> God did not create us to be dominated by the opinions of others. Sure, we want to put our best foot forward. We want to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. But I'm not confined to what you think about me. I want you to think good thoughts, healthy thoughts about me, but even if you don't, that's on you. It speaks to the sickness in you. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. Because <laughs> I'm going to think good about me no matter your opinion. You're going to miss that part. God did not create us to be dominated by the feelings and the emotions that vacillate back and forth. And these kinds of relationships are really dangerous because you want to be in relationship with stable people. Unstable people are all over the place. We don't know, listen, from one day to the next, listen, what planet, what planet you on? Is this Venus or Mars, or are you on Earth today? Instability. 
a dangerous position to be in. But I don't have to be an unstable person vacillating back and forth with all of these emotions. How many of you have been in Houston, native Houstonian, when we had Astroworld? And they had the roller coaster. And it's like, whoopee! One minute we up, whoa, we down. And then we whoo, we up. And then we down. That, that, that's what an unstable person looks like. A roller coaster experience. And when we get into relational context with people who are unstable, we'll find ourselves on the same roller coaster. Now, and fi listen, I wasn't like that till I got hooked up with you. Uh-oh, let me, let me go back in here. So God didn't create us to be dominated by feelings and emotions that vacillate back and forth. That's why you watch people a long time before you ask them to marry you. Yeah. I did say ask you to marry them. I did say ask you to marry them in covenant with them, not shacking. Yeah. Why y'all looking like that? Because the guy understands, why should I purchase the whole cow when I can get all the milk I want? Why y'all miss that? He drinking all the milk, getting all the cheese? You don't need to buy the cow? That's real deep. Some of y'all say, what, 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 what was she saying? No ringy, no swingy. We don't swing. No ringy. Don't look over here for nothing. I mean, he doesn't need to marry you if you're going to run his bath water, you're going to cook his food, and you're going to clean his house, and he's going to drive your car and eat your chicken. Yeah. <laughs> hey. And then y'all play hoppy horse anytime you get ready. What's up with this saying I do stuff? Oh, this good preaching. This good preaching. Some of y'all looking like, ooh. <laughs> now, you remember, you see, your opinion doesn't matter to me. <laughs> God did not create us to be dominated by the cravings of the old nature. Right? He didn't create us to be dominated by the context of culture. You see, again, we must know our value. I must know my creator. Know that he, he has a good plan for my life, right? So you're the writer of your own story. You're the painter of your own picture. You write the story, right? And allow the Holy Spirit to breathe upon that story. But that story does not have to be shaped by the culture and the mindsets of other people. You're the writer of your own story, the painter of your own picture. And though you may not have control over how your story begins, you can control how it ends. See, I didn't have any control over my mama meeting my daddy and when conception took place. But I do have control over every other chapter in the book of my life. I've got control over what this chapter looks like. And when I die, I want to make sure I've written some good chapters. You see, this is why we have to choose wisely. We are born in the earth filled with so many natural gifts, talents, skills, and abilities. Every breathing one of us. God did not leave any one of us without gifts talents, abilities, skill, education, training, and much practice accentuates, it adds to, and it complements those skills, those gifts, those talents, those abilities. This is the truth of the matter. No matter how gifted we are, how skilled we are, how talented we are, it is quite possible that we die never having seized the opportunity to live and use our gifts for the glory of God. They're given to us. But it's not a guarantee that God will ever be glorified. You see, we don't have time to waste time. And we're okay telling you all, listen, I've lived over half my life. I don't have another 64 or 65 years in me. But the time that I have, my God, I maximize the use of the time that is given to me today. Because time for all of us one day expires. What do you do with the time that God has given you? You can't be trapped by what people think and what other people are doing and, and blaming other folk and not assuming ownership for why I am where I am today. Listen, that happened yesterday, but today, by God, I'm making decisions about my life. I take ownership. I take responsibility. Y'all good? Life will forever present difficulties. One fight after another. One struggle after another. I'm going into it. I win. No matter what I go through, 
I recover rapidly. I don't look like what I've been through, people. My children can tell you. My husband can tell you. My family can tell you. I don't look like what I've been through. I made this righteous resolve that no matter what I've gone through, it served to the shaping of me, the making of me. I don't allow crisis to cripple me. Crisis develops me. It makes me better. It makes me stronger. It makes me more resilient. I recover rapidly. I'm not going under. I'm not going down. God created us with elevated mind in, in place. Elevated mind, right? So I can go as high as I can think. Challenge, how high can you think? Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble. You, you got to think higher than, than weed. Come on now. Hi, hi, higher than the hook, hooker bar. You got to think higher than digital porn. Because you were created for greater, more than digital porn. And the church ought to say amen real loud, real loud. Otherwise, you suspect. You got to think higher. Higher than, well, you know, the next relationship after the other. Listen, just be still until God sends you his best. Just be still. Well, you know, I'm getting older as if God doesn't know how old you are. He knows, right? Anxiety is a devil's weapon to destroy you. I'm anxious for nothing. Nothing. Anxious for nothing. Not a new building. We need one. Ain't anxious about it. See, that gets us in trouble. That's when my judgment is clouded. That, that, that's when I pounce on something that was never God's will for me. And then I want to say, you know the devil? No, it wasn't the devil. It was you lacking patience. You see, the Bible says we count it all joy. When we find ourselves facing diverse temptations, tests, and trials, knowing this, that the trying of my faith worketh patience. And I will allow patience to have its perfect work in, in me, perfect work in me, so that I am entire. Listen, wanting nothing. I'm fully developed. I'm mature. I'm grounded. You see, it's all in how we think. Since we must fight, why not fight to win? Right? We're all in a war. We're all in a battle. Let's just fight to win. That's 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, wait a minute, I didn't give you all a point of emphasis that you all need. I have a couple of them, right? So, since life is presenting all these difficulties, point of emphasis, not only will there always be a war, a fight, a struggle, a crisis, a battle, we determine the outcome of the fight by our willingness to obey God. Because God is for you. You know, can you get this? He is the majority. So, it really doesn't matter. Well, you know, they ain't for me. The old people ain't for me. Okay. God is for you. And he says it over and over that he's for you. And since he's for you, who can be against you? He is the majority. And listen, God knows how to make sure that there's some folk exit our lives. And then he provides an entrance for those who should have been there all along. But they couldn't get to us because of the ones who were in the way. So just because they left, they stepped back, they stepped away, don't you cry, you praise God. You, you don't know what God just delivered you from. I know it's so from experience. God will strengthen us if we will obey him. This fight, listen, understand the fight that we go through? It cannot be rigged, right? We can't cheat. We have to take ownership of the fight. So we fight the good fight of faith. We lay hold on to eternal life to which we were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. God is on our side. Your key statement, if there is no enemy within, there is no enemy without, great enough to destroy those who are truly yielded to Christ. I don't, listen, I spend more time making sure that I'm checking out me in the presence of God. I'm not in the presence of God telling on nobody. Right? And let me help you all, with, when you hear all these people, they prophesy, they, they got a word for you. Listen, the first word God has for anybody who's in his face is a word concerning them. So when you look at them and they jacked up self, <laughs> and you got a word, you mean God gave you a word to give me and he missed all this stuff going on with you? He, 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 he didn't say nothing to you about you. But he gave you a word, listen, to come all the way across town 
You know, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful God. And he is, listen, omniscient. He's all-knowing. So he skipped. <laughs> Can I get, really get in trouble? All y'all sleeping around. <laughs> all y'all lying. All your issues. He skipped all of that. He told you, come give me a word. <laughs> God has a consistent, unchanging nature. Before he tells you to go tell somebody something else, he's going to tell you about you. Remember, I don't care nothing about no opinions now. Why y'all looking like that? No, listen, let's, let's take care of your house. And then we'll qualify to go tell somebody. I got a word from the Lord. You got a word, all right. Boy, when that lead pastor comes back and talk about all these voices, he's going to weigh y'all out with all of you. I, I got a word. Okay, we're going to test your word. How do we test it? We test it by the word of God, the Holy Spirit, and God's consistent, unchanging nature. If there is no enemy within, there is no enemy without, great enough to destroy those who are truly yielded to Christ. God is the only one great enough powerful enough, all-knowing enough to help us win the war raging within. What does he give us, Pastor? He gives us grace. He gives us grace. Everybody say grace. Don't we need it? Listen, we can't live a holy life, a godly life, a righteous life in this culture, in this sick, dark, wicked world without grace. And since God has allowed us to be in the earth, He's given us grace sufficient to navigate this season. Now, it is unfortunate that often we focus on our weaknesses, our pain, while the creator sees who he created us to be and what he has given us grace to do. Grace, charis, God's undeserved favor. Everybody say, God favored me. God and you got to catch this because you see, he knows the worst about us and he still made choice of us. God favored me. He knows the worst about me. Everybody in here, we have a past. We've all missed the mark. We've all messed up, but God has given us grace. He knows the worst about me, but he has made choice of me. Anyhow, unlike some folk who kicked us away, pushed us away, walked away, God says, I still want you, right? He made choice of us. It's undeserved favor. It is God's omnipotent power working on our behalf, even though I don't deserve it. I don't merit this, but God, you're still working it out for me. You're working it out for me. You're working it out for me. Favor. Grace is the omnipotent power of God working on behalf of his children. You see, God is working on my behalf. You ought to be glad about it. God is working on your behalf. You want to cry out to him because he loves you enough to work it out for good. God's withdrawal of his wrath. He took his hand of judgment away from us and allowed mercy to plead our case. You see, this is my prayer. God, I want to thank you that you kissed me this morning with your grace. You shook me with your mercy. You raised me up with your love. I want to thank you that I got up because you kissed me with your grace. You shook me with your mercy. You raised me up with your love. I was able to brush my teeth and comb my hair and listen, and listen make up my face, ladies. Uh, dress myself, right? It's grace. Now, since I talked about making up my face, I have to throw this in there. You see, holiness is not walking around with no makeup, a long white dress on, no jewelry, right? That's not holiness, you see. That's ugly. <laughs> you ladies know what you look like. You know you need, a little, you need a little bit of blush. You need a little bit of base. You know, listen, if you don't have on strips, you better put on some mascara. Come on now, put on some eyeshadow, style that hair. Listen, if it's long, if it's short, if you bought it, <laughs> it's still your hair. Come on now, make yourself look cute, because we had a whole lot of women wearing that long dress, and somehow they got that dress up to fornicate. <laughs> they got that dress up. <laughs> Y'all better come to class. Right, we ain't playing no games, right? This is the real deal. Let's talk about it, right? You see, some of us now, you know you can't play. 
My husband and I, we're too old. You can't play with us. <laughs> all right, let's get back. Let's get to all these points. Y'all need these points. God has withdrawn his wrath. He's not angry with us. He's not trying to punish us. The devil wants you to believe that. God does not put guilt and shame and condemnation on his children. Right? That's why we have grace. God's power extended to us to overcome evil tendencies. So in my flesh, Paul says, my body is giving me trouble. I want to do the right thing, but there are these cravings in my body. God says, I've given you grace. It is divine enablement to overcome evil tendencies. I want to do it, but grace gives me the ability not to do it. None of us can live a holy life to glorify God without his grace. It's good preaching. God's power enabling his followers to do with ease what we could never do without divine assistance and intervention. That's grace. God's goodness expressed to those who deserve condemnation. God's been good to us. Anybody in here other than me and, and the elder, God's been good to us. Oh, Don is raising his hand. God's been good to us. You see, you take it for granted. You can taste, you can smell, you can see, you can hear. Come on, lift up your right hand. You do know you're right from your left, right? Lift up your right hand. God has given us the ability to do that. Come on, lift up your left hand. God has given us the ability to do that. Come on, roll your shoulders back. Act like you know who you really are. God has given us the ability to do that. If you can clap your hands, if you can blink your eyes, listen, if you can speak, listen, if you can inhale and exhale, that's God's goodness, that's his mercy, that's God's grace. Don't you ever take it for granted. I know better than to do that. I went almost three years, no taste, no smell. I had to keep on preaching and keep on teaching and keep on studying, right? Keep on counseling, keep on worshiping, keep on praising and saying, God, whatever state I'm in, there with, I learned to be content. Did I want to go on the rest of my life without tasting and smelling? Absolutely not. But I had to wait on God. When the doctors say, we don't know what to do with you, we don't know what caused it, we can't help you, ain't nothing we can give you, it's God's grace. Now I'm running around trying to smell everything I can. Listen, thank you, God, for healing and for restoring. I know what it's like to be in a mental ditch where you're in mental struggle after struggle after struggle. And what did I have to do over and over and over again? I had to speak the word of God. I had nobody to encourage me. My husband's always there. He's going to always encourage me. But I had to encourage myself, strengthen myself. Speak life to myself. You see, because nobody knows but you, the mental battle you're in. And we look like, I mean, we just downright holy. Ain't nothing going on with me. I ain't got no trauma. I ain't got no trouble. Why would you lie to yourself? God knows how to get us out of it. And it is through the power of his word. Can I give y'all some points? Because y'all know I never finish. Right? So let me give us some points and then we're going to be done, all right? The Bible does not tell us, does not tell us, go fight the devil, go fight the devil. No, this is what God says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. I want it on the screen so you can see there are scriptures to support it. God never tells us, you go fight the devil, go fight those demons. God told us, give the devil no place. So how are we giving him place? Let's make sure I close every door to the adversary. I give him no place. God told us to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the methodia, the strategies of the devil. You see, he is a strategist. It's not that he is greater than we are. He's just a greater strategist than we are. He's very effective in his strategy. The Bible says, now you stand against his strategies, exercise authority over Satan and his demons. That's what God tells us to do. God tells us to fight the good fight of faith, right? God tells us to keep ourselves pure and do not, listen, become contaminated or ensnared by another man's sins. Amen. So if you ain't selling dope, why are you running with those who do? <laughs> you remember that smile, right? Right? If you don't hang out at the hookah bar, why are you hanging out with those who do? Right? If you're not addicted to digital porn, why are you running out with those who are addicted to it? Why y'all looking like that? <laughs> Keep yourself pure. Do not become a partaker of another man's sins. No matter how spiritually prepared we think we are, emotional and mental preparation is essential to every victory. I got to get my mind right. 
comes out of 1 Peter 1. But let's close with these points. Saints, I said this. Everybody in the building, everybody's streaming in, you know, doing all that little chat. <laughs> y'all know what that is. Y'all, why y'all watching? And they got chat, just, just, just chatting, just going on. All those people ain't saved. And they just chatting. Amen. <laughs> Say it, preacher. <laughs> Repeating every little thing in the chat. Why don't y'all put this whole message in the chat? <laughs> right? The whole message. Some of y'all sitting there looking, well, I don't think you ought to be messing with people in the chat. <laughs> we want them delivered too, right? Be born again. Amen. I must be. And I plead with you, don't play with your life. Because there is, there's a whole world beyond the casket, beyond the grave. When you experience physical death, that's not all there is to you. There's a whole world, a spiritual world. And we make a decision today as to where we're going to spend eternity. Ain't no purgatory. Ain't no holding pattern. You floating out somewhere, somebody going to pray you into glory. No, I must be born again today. Can I repeat? The greatest tragedy is for any one of us in here streaming in to experience physical death without Christ. The body goes back to dust, but the spirit has to go on into eternity somewhere. And I make the decision today as to where I'm going to spend eternity. I must be born again. And it really is so simple. Because the, the Bible gives us the gospel that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell, right? He ascended up out of the grave on the third day with all power in heaven and in earth. In his hands, he ascended into heaven. He gave gifts to men as he led captivity captive, and he seated on the right-hand side of God, and there he ever lives to make intercession for us, and he's coming back again for a church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And therein, you just heard the gospel. All he says is if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. You see, but there has to be a heart-to-mouth connection because there are guys who will say, I love you, baby, Girls who will say, I love your sugar, but there ain't no heart connection. They just in it for what they can get out of it, right? God says, I want your heart connected to what you said. And when your heart is connected to what you said, you really mean it. I'll accept you into my family. You see, he wants us to be in his family, and I think that's love. To win the internal fight, Pastor, yes, I must be born again, but then I need to rely upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. Understand, he is our helper, our paracletus, our guide, our comforter, our aid, our support. He's going to help us to win the battle, to overcome, to live out a champion's lifestyle. I need to rely upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I can say, Holy Spirit, help me. I can't do it if you don't help me. Holy Spirit, expose this. I need to make a righteous discernment decision about this. I want to be sound in my judgment. Holy Spirit, help me. He'll do it. I need to rely upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then I embrace that grace, that charisma, the omnipotent power of God working on my behalf, empower me to do what would otherwise be humanly impossible. I got to rely upon grace. God, I can't do it without grace. Undeserved favor. And then I stand higher by conforming to the standard. Everybody say, I stand higher. That's what holiness is. That's what righteousness is all about. That's what being in step with God is all about. That, that, that's what the scripture means when it says, come out from among them and, and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing. He's saying, I want you to stand up higher. We don't walk around aloof like we're better than anybody else. We just walk around like we're sons and daughters of God. And so we're required to stand higher because he has elevated us to a higher quality of living. I want to make sure that I don't conform to the culture. Whatever the culture is doing, I'm doing the opposite. Except, listen, talk yourself up and I'll talk yourself up. I was, listen, for years, my husband, I was my own worst critic, grew up insecure, low self-esteem, not feeling that I'm as good as anybody else just because of my upbringing, dysfunction in my family. But I'm telling you, God's word liberates. God's word will make you whole. God's word will deliver you. I'm not the same person that my husband married almost 40 years ago. I'm not the same person. I'm worse shaped. You see, he has called us, talk yourself up and talk yourself out. 
talk yourself out of that rut, out of that slump, out of that depression, out of that despair. I've done it. It works. You can do it. But you've got to have God's word, the agent of change. Talk yourself up. Don't wait on somebody to call you and encourage you. Listen, they may never call you. They need to talk themselves up. Can you see it? And then you want to accept and seek hard after accountability. If the devil himself, listen, has to be accountable to a sovereign God, who are we to not be accountable to somebody? I need to be in a local church. Young people, you need to be in the local church planet, not flighty, not vacillating all over the, all over the place. And this is over here and this is over there. Everybody your pastor, everybody your prophet, everybody your priest. God says, I'll give you shepherds, I'll give you pastors who will feed you with knowledge and understanding, not great bleeding fleece sheep. You need to be planted and grounded in the local church. You join that local church. You don't just show up. I'm just, I, you know, I'm just visiting. You always visit it. <laughs> At what point? Well, listen, let's challenge your level of commitment. What are you committed to? God wants you committed to a local church where you're held accountable. Life groups, get involved. Discipleship development, get involved. Bible study, get involved. Get involved in that church and serve. If you dance, listen, you praise dance, and it ain't no, no you know, rolling around, carrying on, wiggling, and it's sensual stuff. This is holy praise, holy. Listen, if you dance, if you do poetry, if you sing, if you write, if you administrate, you run this technology, you get involved. You minister to children, to youth. Women, listen, you get involved. You minister to the male seed. I'm talking men ministering to men, not women, because women got too many of the prayer partners come up pregnant. <laughs> hey, women, you don't need to minister to him. We got some brothers to minister to him. You got a word, don't give it to your sister. <laughs> you don't need to be in his face, winking in his eye. Your last is falling off. You got your chest all high and lifted up. <laughs> oh, no. Brothers minister to the brothers. Now, now, and I ain't talking no homosexual and no lesbian stuff. We ain't doing that either. That's another sermon for another time. All right, see, y'all got quiet. Y'all better keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Accept and seek hard after accountability. Be committed to the local church, your life groups, involvement. I know how involved you are based upon your investment. Rise above and I can't, I will never, I'm the victim attitude. Stop it. Right? I'm a winner even if it looks like you losing, I'm still winning. Why? Because God never loses. And I'll maintain it until God calls me home to be with the Lord. Failure is not possible as long as I obey God. It might look like failure to you, but if I'm obeying God, I'm on the winning side. Failure is not possible when I obey God. Finally, know that you win. Believe it, speak it, live like it. I win. And as long as God is who he says he is, I win. As long as God is who he says he is, I win. You've got to wrap your mind around it. Listen, it's not about your feelings because you may not feel like you're winning. And it might seem like you're going down. And you use that Ali principle, it didn't matter how bad it looked, he was still the greatest. He talked himself up. Stand to your feet. I want you to talk yourself up. The world's going to do enough damage putting us down. The devil's going to do all he can to take you down in your mind. That's what 1 Peter is all about. 1 Peter 5, 8. The Bible says that he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for the weak link, those that he can take down in the mind. And he'll take you down in your mind. But God's called you to think higher. And you can only think the thoughts of God continuously if you get God's word on the inside of you. The Bible says now, we receive with meekness a teachable spirit, the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. You see, God's word not only saves me spiritually, God's word saves my mind. You see, the devil will tell you, blow your brains out. Sure, he puts thoughts like that in your mind, but you're not the thinker behind the thought. You see, you didn't think that. The only way he can control behavior is to manipulate thoughts. So he'll put all that negative, low-down, dirty thinking in your mind, and you think it's you. Oh, man, look at how wretched I am. No, that's him. That's his ploy. That's his plot. He squats on our thinking. And he'll take control of your mind, and he'll take you down if you let him. But if you get in God's word and allow his word to elevate your thinking and start saying what God says about you, 
that I am the beloved, right? I'm accepted in the beloved, right? I am already approved of by God. He knows the worst about me, but he still made choice of me to be his ambassador, right? And remember that everybody has a past. We've all messed up. But Jesus' blood colors my past. Thank God he covers all of that. Why is it important that I understand the power of his blood so that I will rehearse when the devil tries to bring guilt, shame, and condemnation? I will rehearse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, you see. I'm in Christ Jesus, and so you can't take me there, right? Because my Father has already affirmed me, approved of me, accepted me, and called me his own, filled me with his precious Holy Spirit, right? So if he can forgive us, surely we can forgive ourselves.